Hey everyone, and welcome to the hashtag Jungian Bits Information Blogcast. My name is Nicholas Toko, and I am the host of this blogcast. It's a blog dedicated to exploring the unconscious in the workplace, specifically the dynamics between the individual psyche and the workplace. This episode is the first in a series of blogcasts about entitled In Search Of. And what I mean by that is it's an exploration of the eight psychological functional attitudes from the perspectives of day-to-day people, my friends and workplace colleagues. My guest today is Dower Dykstahouse, and together we will be exploring the feeling function. Given what I know of Dower, I think he may be an extroverted feeling type. So we're going to explore this function and how it manifests in his life, how it's, it's expressed, and get a sense of whether it's a lead function in his personality. So we'll, we'll explore it from the perspective of, of our lives from childhood to date and, and see whether we can spot extroverted feeling, the extroverted feeling functional attitude in our day-to-day lives. So first of all, a reminder of the eight functions. There are two functions and four attitudes in Jung's typological system. The two functions are introversion and extroversion. And the four functions are sensation, intuition, thinking, and feeling. The attitudes and functions, the two attitudes and the four functions, combine to form eight functional attitudes. Extroverted sensation, introverted sensation. Extroverted thinking, introverted thinking. Extroverted intuition, introverted intuition. Extroverted feeling, and introverted feeling. My preferred lead function is extroverted sensation. I know this is true based on my own experiences, observations of myself, and as a result of taking Jungian-based personality tests or assessments. So that's a very long introduction, but I'm very happy to welcome Dawa. Dawa joins me today from beautiful Trinidad. How are you today, Dawa? I'm doing great. The sun is out. It's been raining for a couple of days, but today is a beautiful day. I walked out this morning. There was a slight warm breeze. So the day started well. I went to my mango tree. People who, are, people who know the Caribbean also know that this is the start of mango season. So if you yes. have Facebook and you have friends in the Caribbean, you will see endless pictures of mangoes come by because it's just, it remains to be amazing how nature every, you know, with the cycle, every time it comes around, you have a tree with fruits on it. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. So the day has been good so far and promises to be an interesting discussion that we're having. So I'm ready yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'd like the viewers to f- just hear a little bit about you. So I, I met you a number of years ago through some mutual friends. We know you live in Trinidad, but you're originally from the Netherlands. Can you tell us a little bit about, a bit about your background? Born in the early 70s. Um, early 70s. Been, the early <laughs> oh 70s. <laughs> You're not going to say the exact date, right? <laughs> Nothing to do with vanity. Um, <laughs> but no, I just want to make sure that everybody who was born in the 70s can identify with me. That's not make it specific. But um, always traveled around because of my father's work. So growing up, we lived in places for three, either three or four years, and we would move on. During that time growing up, I also lived in the U.S. for four years from when I was 14 to 18. Those were very important formative years and a fantastic formative experience. Came back, went to university, tried my hands at a few things, and eventually ended up studying uh, cultural anthropology. Got a master's in that, did a lot of traveling, during that time, West Africa, East Africa, India. Then 
went on to start a PhD program, lived in Costa Rica for two years, came back, a lot of personal things happened, ended up quitting the PhD program, got my master's in education, been teaching high school for 13 years, and then we moved to my wife. I was married by then, by that time, got a daughter in 2009, and we moved for my wife's work, and she's also from Trinidad. We moved to Trinidad, where we'd been now for four years. Yeah, I, I know that's awesome. I, I didn't, I didn't know you'd grown up in the states. Whereabouts in the states did you grow up? I lived. We lived in Virginia, but I went to school in DC. Most of my life was in wow. DC, and we just lived across the board in Virginia. That's amazing. So my stepsister lives in in Virginia, in Alexandria. Okay, yeah, and I have a lot DC, of friends, parents who still live in Alexandria. Yeah, DC is one of my favorite cities. This is well, this is amazing. I didn't know this. I I love DC. It's one of my. In fact, it's my favorite city in the world. I'd love to live there, ultimately. Got lots of friends out there. And I grew up in Pittsburgh. I don't know if I've told you, but I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wow. From the age wow. of two to six. And I recently actually just wrote a blog about growing up in the States, because for me, that's where I really, my earliest memories of my personality go back to when I was two. I mean, I literally, I have very distinct memories of my personality developing at an extremely mm -hmm. young age and having now that I'm training as a Jungian analyst and I understand you know the structure and dynamics of the psyche I was really surprised how extrovert sensation was so apparent in me even at that age I hated my mom's cooking nice to tell her that which mm -hmm. is a real hallmark of sensation you know chefs typically have extrovert sensation it's all about sight sound smell so yeah, I wrote a blog recently for my viewers listening on my website. <laughs> there's a blog on extrovert sensation and uh, yeah, how that manifested for me when I was growing up. But I think the US is is an extrovert sensation culture, but also an extroverted feeling culture, which I know we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. Everything and with and all that with an exclamation mark. Yes, it's, it, it is. Yeah. It is extra and then some. And but what that what I observed when I was there, because it also, of course, coming from Europe and especially a small country like the Netherlands, it, when you go to the US at the impressionable age of 14, when you are awaking as, as it is, because you know puberty and everything, and you start to realize how the world works and how people are, and you've had a couple of good experiences, bad experiences that already formed you in a way. I saw that because the US is, is so geared towards being extra and out there and extrovert, it also creates a lot of space for introverts mm. because the extroverts are up front. They get all the attention. The introverts can easily hide behind that. So I, I actually became aware of extrovert introvert when I went to the US. That for me was a, a oh, really? wake up call that yeah. I, for the first time, I saw the difference that there was that you could what I've seen, what I'd seen before was that people had a little bit of both and it was sort of <clears throat> all on the same uh, wavelength. And then in the US, you start seeing, you know, some people are always on <laughs> and some people are always invisible or are they? Like some people are always on and some people always up front. Yeah, and that but... was the first time that I saw that, that, that difference between how how people can manifest their own personality in such a distinct ways. Because even introverts, introverts, I never noticed them. I started noticing introverts, which sounds like a paradox because 
their whole point is not to be noticed. Mm. But their introversion and introspection was 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 also something that it was a revelation to see how you can also be like that and be okay with it. Mm. Yeah, introversion is interesting. A lot of people do think it's, as you said, it's about they don't want to be seen or they're shy. And there's, I guess there is a bit of that. But actually for, for introverts, from, from a Jungian perspective, they, their inner world is much more important to them than the outer world. So the outer world are, are sort of what's called outer objects. Mm -hmm. They have inner objects that they, they start off, you know, their being starts off looking at their inner world first before in terms of how they engage with the outer world, if that makes sense. So it's, you it's and a different I have starting point. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. A, exactly. It's a different starting point. So you and I will focus on the outer object because I think we share extroversion. Mm -hmm. And then introversion will come later, whereas an introvert will focus on the inner object first, and then yeah. the outer object will then come into the equation. And that's the difference. But you're right. I think Amer I, loved, I loved what you said with an exclamation mark. America's extroversion with an ex exclamation mark. My my analysis or my, my thinking about that is I think America, if you think about it, America was born out of pioneers. People left Europe, people by immigrants who wanted mm -hmm. to have a much better life. And I think there was an element of extroversion in the immigrant community who left Europe and other parts of the world. You know, these guys, okay, they, they literally destroyed <laughs> the, the native mm -hmm. people, but they, I think they brought that pioneering spirit, which is what I think extrovert sensation really reflects and that still still is there in, the, in 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 generations up until probably not yeah probably up until now i think because you know it's still a pioneering country for technology wise culture people and i think there was a bit of that's kind of my sort of explanation of why america is so extroverted and in particular a lot of extrovert sensation i actually did a training course in dc on okay. Briggs. Myers-Briggs type indicator, which is one of the tests you can use to mm -hmm. determine which, whether you're extrovert or introverted, feeling type, thinking type. And there were about 12 people in my course, and I've got to say, all of them were extroverted. I mean, just through the roof. But a lot of it felt a little bit exaggerated. Mm -hmm. It was like they were just sort of, they were just sort of trying to fit in within the national culture of extrovert sensation. I suspect some, many of them were, were introverts. But were, yeah. you know, kind of pretending to be extroverts, um, because American think, culture is very, as you said, it's 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 extroversion with an exclamation mark. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of that also. One thing that is important to understand, of course, is that it's not only that it was pioneers, because if you look at the history of Europe, people have constantly been moving around, constantly been meeting. There, there's a lot of pioneering there too. Only it happened maybe a thousand years before it happened in the U.S. So the U.S. has next to a pioneering spirit. It also has its age. It's relatively young. Maybe it's mm -hmm. still in its puberty. So it's still defining itself. And the way it went, and if you look at the historical context in which the U.S. really made its mark and became the most powerful country in the world, that was in a time when there was a lot going on in the world. And and. It's sort of you're asked in your during your puberty to define yourself. So it's not something that is that is riddled with nuance and 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 introspection. It's about action. It's mm -hmm. about reacting on impulses. And the U.S. is still a country that reacts on impulses. Yeah. Not necessarily yeah. the intellectual debate, not introspection, but the impulses. Yeah. As you get older, yeah. you slow down. 
you start getting more retrospection, you start becoming more aware that what the consequences of your words and your actions are. The U.S. seems to not have reached that point yet. Yeah, they are going towards there because it's already different from the '60s. Yeah, But, no, that's a really yeah. good point. Actually, it's made me think because for me, I, I know that I do act on impulse, and I and I and I, I sense that's the extrovert sensation in me because it's very much you're in the here and now. I very rarely think of the past. Very rarely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very rarely think of the future. If I do, it's because I have to plan. So as you know, I'm. I'm moving to Switzerland, I've got to make some practical plans to move to Switzerland. So mm -hmm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in a sort of future mode at the moment because of that. But typically, I'm always in the here and now. Like I'm, I'm talking to you now and I've already noticed it's drizzling outside. I've noticed mm -hmm. a bird fly. I'm just so aware of my environment. But I, I do act on impulse actually quite a lot. Yeah. And, and that can be positive or negative. But I just a little bit more about we'll, we'll talk about uh, you know your educational background in a minute but i wanted to just tell the viewers about how i met you because i think that was when i first felt extrovert feeling so i i met you through some mutual friends yes uh, we came over for sunday lunch and it was a great afternoon i met you i met your wife i met your daughter and always yeah i remember the the bananas that you made right the <laughs> the food was delicious i mean just Thank you. Just delicious. <laughs> I, will, I will forget the plantain, right? Plantain. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> to this day, Dow, I've not tasted any plantain that tastes as good as yours. But anyway, what else really, what really struck me that that afternoon at your house was your, the warm welcome, the the immediate connection with me, the harmonization. You really looked after everyone that afternoon, and there was just a real kind of relatedness, you know. And yeah, I felt very comfortable in, in your house, even though we'd never met before, right? And we, I think I got quite drunk as well that afternoon. That was <laughs> always a good sign, always a good sign. <laughs> and yeah, yes, that's, I just want the viewers to know that was my first experience of Dow and that, and that experience has stayed with me for a very long time. We reconnected on Facebook mm -hmm. months ago. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I have some very strong views about all sorts of stuff in, in this world, which is, mm -hmm. We've talked about this. It's my introverted feeling. I've got certain values and ethics that mm -hmm. and principles that I stand by. <laughs> and you're one of the few people who always kind of champion it and, and say and kind of encourage it, you know. And I, I thought, yeah, my dad was really has got a lot of relatedness. And, and I don't know if that makes sense to you. If, if that if that makes sense, it makes, it makes absolutely for the sense. conversation um, yeah. about extroverted feeling, and it's it's a real harmonizing psychological psychic function it can it can connect at any level in any country any culture it's 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 like for me my the object is let's say a good meal i, I like you know good food delicious food whereas you it's it's the the connection with the other person is is quite important for you right that that mm -hmm. connection absolutely because at a young age i came to the conclusion that the world and life as we live it is uncontrollable. You can you can have a root in your head and you can think in 10 years I want to be there, in one year I want to be there, in three weeks I want to be doing that. Always something comes up. So I realized that one of the important things that I do for myself, small things in order to gain control, at least have some kind of say, some kind of control so I can claim full responsibility for everything that I do 
which is very important. I have to be able to explain to you why I did something. Mm. Uh, preferably without shame or embarrassment. But even if that comes with it, I still have to be able. The worst thing for me is to sit there and say, I don't know. Why did you do it? I don't know. That is the worst thing for me. So for me, it's very much to get certain control. And I found out that in this life where so many uncontrollable things happen, it's very easy to fall into the trap of fear, to be afraid, to become afraid of things. One way to kind of cancel out fear is to be open, direct. Show your feelings right away to know when you feel that you are in a situation in, as, it, as you are in your own house and you're, you're having people to come into your house, you've already made a decision. You're, you're, you're bringing people into your house, show them who you are, be open and direct. It saves so much hassle, so much uncertainty, so much sense of I'm not in control of this. Mm. So it's, it's very much a thing of like, all right, I am here now, I can be open. Good, then this is a moment that I can cancel out fear. Be direct, I'll be open. And in Dutch you say, when you, they say, have an open visor. Uh, that yeah. When, uh, yeah, you open your helmet and you show your face. And I think that is the, often the best way to, to, conquer, to conquer fear and to, to have a sense of control. Yeah, so EF kind of, some of the, the behavioral characteristics that go with the, the, the individual's very oriented to social conditions, right? So, yeah. which you've talked about. As people, groups, and organizations change, someone with EF as a lead will adjust their own norms and values discerned in the new situation. I'd love to hear how that was for you in, in Trinidad in a minute and whether you adjusted to the norms and values of Trinidad compared to the Netherlands, that they really empathize with the feeling values of other people. And that, mm -hmm. that's definitely the sense I got from you. Because I remember I, I was talking to you about some just some difficult relationships I was having and you were just you just really empathize with me straight away, which I thought, wow, this is really this is really interesting. Because I, maybe I had a bias that, you know, Northern European countries I don't perceive them as of having extroverted feeling. I, I see extroverted feeling in the U.S. because in the U.S. I can, like Washington D.C., I can walk in D.C. one day and come back with two, three phone numbers by people I just met. Yeah, just talking. Yeah. People just are willing to connect with you in in the U.S. and invite you around for dinner and say, "Hey, let's let's carry on the chat. Come around for dinner. We'd love to have you." I've never had that in London. No one in London's ever. <laughs> but how did you react to but that? But it's first fear, right? It's fear. Were you a little, yeah? Were you a little surprised, or maybe were you um, thinking to yourself, "Gosh, what what naive behavior!" You know, I, I just met these people, and they they put their trust in me that you have a hard time uh, getting. The first time that happened to me because I I had the same experience, similar. I really had to sit down and I had to gauge it. All right. I come from a place where this does not happen. Here it happens, I step outside, I don't know these people, I've been outside for 20 minutes and they, they want to go to lunch with me. There was a, a certain inherent distrust that I had to overcome. Mm. There was a, a feeling I had to step over my, gosh, they're so naive. Oh, they really think I'm interesting? Oh, God, <laughs> you know, they, don't, they don't even know me. It, it took me, it took me a, a, a good thinking to say, you know, this is what it is. Go for it. Yeah, you're right. I don't know I if you experienced the same thing. If you embraced it right away, it's like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Or did you have the feeling in the beginning, this is a little strange. I don't know no, how you to know, deal with this. 
I've tr- like you, I've traveled a lot. I, I lived in Argentina, I've lived in uh, the UK, I've lived in Uganda, Kenya. I've traveled to India, I've traveled to, you know, to many countries. So I've, I, I, get, I have a real good sense of some countries and their culture and how welcoming they are and mm-hmm. the feeling function. But I, I know for me, even though extrovert sensation was pretty dominant in me and still is, extroverted feeling came second. So I had very close, I, was, I had very close relationships when I was very young at school. I remember just being really connected with everyone in, in a particular way, but not as much a sensation. But no, it wasn't, I value extroverted feeling. In fact, all my mm-hmm. male friends tend to be extroverted feeling types. I seem to just gravitate to pick to men who have extroverted feeling mm-hmm. and I just found it this is I just found it refreshing it just because I live in London where you can go to a bus stop and you can stand next to someone for an hour waiting for a mm-hmm. bus and they will not say a word to you yeah whereas in DC at some point they'll say hey where's this goddamn bus right <laughs> like, yeah yeah exactly yeah. and then, then you have a conversation and and next thing you know you, you're having a, a beer with this individual somewhere and you know there's just a there's a there's a sort of willingness to engage with people and, yeah. and i i found that when i went to amsterdam that i, I was so surprised that, that was what happened with you because i guess i had a perception of dutch people as not necessarily mm-hmm. being able to put their visor up as you said right yeah 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 I, I got the think... sense that as a culture, they don't put the visor up where I come from a culture where we do put the visor up. It's absolutely fine because I not only do I get excited by the object. So if an extroverted feeling type opens up to me, it's it's bam, it's an attraction straight away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they're trying to harmonize with me. I'm excited by the object. Mm-hmm. Do you have the feeling that socialization is very important? That I, as a child, moving every three, four years, I had to learn every time I get to step into a new circle of friends that was already uh, there and I have to not say fight my way in but I had to find my way in so mm-hmm. I had to be aware I had to sense it I had to feel it I had to get in tune with people really fast so that has become second nature to when you meet somebody else to tune into them right away you know you you you, you don't know they don't know you but you want to get to a point of, of harmony and communication as soon as possible preferably uh, harmonious communication. Mm. Not like, man, if I would have known that you were like that, I would have never done it. No, right away, I want to get the feeling, I'm good with you, are you good with me? You know, then then we can be open in our communication. Once again, maybe it's a control thing, maybe it's taming fear, but it's it's right mm. away, you know, I want to know, it's like, just let me know, are we good? This is yeah. what's, because then we can take it to the next level. Yeah. And of course, yeah. there are people that you're not interested in communicating with, and you will keep them politely so, but at a more distance. And some people don't have any need to communicate with me. That's cool, too. I, I sense that, too. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come to that in a minute. I just want to go back to the other point you said, which was whether it was social, whether it was socially yeah. cultivated, so to speak. Yeah, and it's a good question. The, the jury is actually still out about how our personalities develop. Is it because of our culture? the family you're in, the, the the culture, the country. I think all those things do have an impact on our personality. The one thing I can say is that the persona, which is this sort of it's it sort of sits above the personality. It's it's a it's a very complicated set of relations between, let's say, me and the individual in the world. Mm-hmm. And basically I'll create a persona for myself if I'm never if I'm not comfortable being my my authentic self. Mm-hmm. 
I will create a persona. And we often hear people say this, oh yeah, they've got this kind of persona. And it's it's actually you a Greek a word for mask. Yeah, it's like a yeah. mask, right? It's yeah. a Greek word for mask. It's a, it's, it's a way of managing your complicated relationship with the world. You want to be seen mm-hmm. in a certain way, thought about in a certain way. And, and many people wear personas. I mean, I, I sense, and I, this is why I was going to ask you whether you discern. So I can, I can sense when I'm dealing with a persona, with someone who has a persona, there's a certain fakeness to them that you just, it almost feels irritating. Like, why do I feel irritated? And I just think, yeah, because it's a persona. They're not really being their true self. Do you feel that as an, you know, with extroverted feeling that you can discern, as you said, people not really wanting to connect with you, people who do want to connect with you? Because that's what the feeling function does. It's quite right it, away, it's like a company. Right away. Yeah. And it is, has to do with everything. You, you look at somebody, if they're looking at you, what the tone of their voice is, their choice of words, how they look at you. But I would have the same thing. I, in the beginning, I was well, why, you know, why are they acting so fake? But I think for me, the difference is that, and I think important for that was that also being a teacher and having to deal with children, parents, colleagues, you go into a different communication because it's, it's, it is emotional. It is professional, but it's also emotional when you're dealing with other people. Hmm. And I tried to think of it in the best way. I, I tried not to use the word fake anymore, but I just, I know when somebody is not giving them, giving me their full self when they when they are flicking the switch and they're playing their role, they're playing who they are. I, I can feel that. And instead of becoming angry about it, I try to understand why are they doing that? All right, because they don't really need me along the way somewhere. They don't need to invest in a long-term friendship. They don't need to invest in, they just, they, they're not willing or something is preventing them from going to full, you know, opening up. And I have to respect that because I do the same thing. When I have the feeling, look, I disagree with you wholeheartedly on everything, but I need you for this transaction, I'll be cool. I'm not going to give you my full self. I'll play the role that I need to play at that moment. And, you know, we, we all have multi-strand relationships. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a colleague, I'm a neighbor, all those things. Not all those roles need to be the real me. Some of them are transactional. Hmm. And being the real me would, I've done that in the past, given my full self at every relationship, every form of communication I had. And that might leave you disappointed because people don't reciprocate that necessarily. For them, it's not, okay, well, I'll give you the whole me. To them, it's like, no, dude, you need to do this for me now. And after that, I might never see you again. So let's just get this over with. Be it harmonious and courteous, but we, I don't need to know your background. I don't need to, you just know, my name is so-and-so, we do this together and that's it. Some communications transactional, some communication is more long-term and goes deeper. Yeah, that's a good point. And I wonder whether, so you, you, you said you did your master's and you, you started a PhD. All that sounds like a lot of thinking function. Yeah, uh, yeah. Extroverted and, and a bit of introverted thinking. Do you do you get a sense of how the, the two functions are different? When you're when you were studying for your PhD, did you have to switch between thinking and feeling? 
Could you, uh, could, you, could you sense the difference between the two functions? Because that you know, must be, I, I, I'm not a huge, I've got a master's degree, but I, I, I can't even imagine doing a PhD because my, so I've got sensation, then feeling's my second function. Yeah. Think, thinking comes third. So it's quite a, I can, you know, thinking's not a problem for me. I can, you know, I can think as, as, as well as most people, but I, I do find it quite exhausting if I, I spend a lot of time having to think. It, it is exhausting, and to be honest, I the jury is still out. I still don't know because I, for me, it's the sometimes I have the feeling I look at friends who have done their PhD and they go about it the proper way, so to say. They they think about it, they think about it, then they go, they do, and after they thought about it and they've done, they start feeling about it. For me, it's often the other way around. I start feeling about it, and then becomes the hard job of putting that in academic words. So putting that into thoughts that that make sense outside of my own head. And thank you. <laughs> uh, so it is difficult. It is difficult because I often I am often slightly jealous of people who you know they have four years for their PhD. They sit down, they think about it, they go point by point by point, and they do it. And for me, it doesn't work like that. It starts with feeling, and then it comes down to distilling those feelings into thoughts and then trying to see how it works in more like standardized or have people written about that, or is this something that's already known? It's, it's the, I work the other way around, and sometimes yeah, and it's difficult. You, yeah, and I think the viewers, uh, listeners would really be interested in, as you said, because I hear this a lot from extrovert feeling types, they feel their way through the situation. Can you... Can you break that down any more into what that, that sort of, how that, what that looks like, what it manifests well, like, of, how, how does it, ex how do you express it? I think for me, it's also feeling is, for me, it's while I'm feeling, I'm connecting dots. It's, mm. it's, it's not necessarily on a thought level. It's I'm connecting dots. I'm associating feelings. I'm associating sensations. I'm associating experiences. In that way, you get a framework. You would almost say a feelings framework. And from that feelings framework, you slowly have to distill a thought. And what is actually, what does this all mean? I mean, it sounds very new agey, you know, what does it mean? But it comes down to that. You feel a lot, you associate it, you, you connect dots, you start making this big framework of I've been here before, I've felt this before, I've experienced this before, how did it go again? What can I take from those previous experiences? And then the thought comes out what it actually is. And that is on a, on a level when you're dealing with other individuals. I think it's very helpful, but it almost seems that often within the academic world, it seems the, you take the long way. <laughs> you, you know, you take the long route where somebody yeah. else would have said, all right, that's what you want. I'm going straightly for that. Yeah, I'm absolutely. thinking that's what you want. Okay, well, let me see if I've been there before. Let me see if I've experienced or felt that before. So I get an idea of a picture of where I should be, where I should mm. be looking for the distilled thought. That makes a lot of sense. You know, introverted thinking has a very... So the feeling works from a governing principle of value. So it's constantly, as you said, trying to establish the value of the object. But mm -hmm. that connectedness is very interesting because thinking works on the governing principle of logic. So it's always trying to connect 
the dots between different ideas and principles or theories and pursuing their understanding of it with just unswerving dedication. So, so it's not too dissimilar mm-hmm. to thinking. And that's why we are, Jungians anyway, Jungian psychology argue that thinking and feeling are rational functions. They actually work on the same governing principle, except one's value, one's logic. Sensation yeah. and intuition are irrational. <laughs> so for yeah. me, it's it's my body just tells me what I need to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll just get like I, if I like sometimes when I meet people who I've not met before, and if I I know this person is going to be a friend, or they're telling me that, or actually they're being very truthful to me, I'll just get a buzzing feeling in my body, like I just sort of buzz vibration. I think oh yeah, it overcomes you. It overcomes yeah. you. It takes hold of you. While the other things, and I I love the fact what you said that feeling is also a rational. It is it is there's yeah. logic behind it because. Feeling is your body, is your mind, is your soul kind of thinking. Without using words, it's it's reacting the same way as logic in, in rational thought. It's it's also it's connecting that dot at hyper speed. Experience something is you undergoing something, you're overcome by something, something takes hold of you, something goes through you, which and only after that you can make sense of it. Yes. Exactly. And so when I have my sort of buzzing feeling, I'll then, then feeling will kick in. It, it's almost like an after sort of thought, so to speak. And then thinking will come in third, if that makes sense. So for me, being in academia, hmm. I had to be excited by the subject first. Yeah. So I had to enjoy the lecture. The lecture had to be enjoyable, had to be fun, mm-hmm. first of all. Then I had to really connect in some sort of way with the lecturer and feel the mm-hmm. same values they did. And then I'll try to understand it intellectually. That was my thought process at, at, whenever I did a, a course. But if yeah. I can never get the, the enjoyment that I never went further on anything. And that's the same for anything I read, if I'm not interested in it. So I can often be interested by the, the, the like, viewers can't see this book, but if I get a book and I like what's on the cover, <laughs> if mm-hmm. I get excited by it, I'll buy it and I'll read it. it I'll just, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And then sometimes I'll get disappointed because I didn't really think about, well, what's, what's in it? Mm-hmm. I was just so attracted by its its front cover, and that's that's kind of the. And do you force yourself to even when you feel that disappointment when you halfway through the book, do you force yourself to still read the book to the end, or do you say, no. it, "Oh, okay," I'll like jump to the end or something, and read yeah, the end. Yeah. But then I what I've learned to do now, <laughs> yeah. So, but now what I do is if I if I pick a book and I, I get excited by it, well, let me let me just flick through it a bit. Let me read it a bit and just see what's mm-hmm. in here. Look at the contents page, you know. Just try. So you bring in the other functions in to help yeah. make a decision, and that's what you know. With feeling, yes, you can. I have a friend who's a feeling type, and in the office, workplace colleague, and I've got to say, this individual really. When I met her in the office, I felt just so welcomed and constantly asked me how I was, constantly checking my workload and how's everything mm-hmm. with your work colleagues. And I'd see her just do this with everyone in the office on the floor. She knew absolutely, she knows absolutely everyone on the floor. And and I did have the same conversation when I said, you know, I, I really see you've got extra feeling as one of your lead functions. See, for her, her priority is the well-being of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And and there's some pros and cons of that because often she forgets herself. So she often meets people who are not particularly nice, you know. Mm-hmm. And but she is so focused on harmonizing with them. She doesn't bring other functions in which help balance out the feeling. Which is well, are these people good people? First of all, you know, they have walked all over you on this, or 
What's your intuition telling you? What's your body saying to you? Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't often bring other functions into her engagement with people. So she can get quite dis- disappointed by people who don't live up to her. You know, She can get drained ideas. because people will take advantage of yeah. her energy right. and they will suck her dry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So feeling function is, it's a great function, don't get me wrong. I think it's it's useful for work, even for workplace conflict. I try and get people to to reflect on whether they are withholding the feeling function and that's why there's mm-hmm. conflict. But also there are people who just who just don't use the function with others, with the other three, which is intuition, sensation, thinking. And so they go, they're literally a doormat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they are a danger to themselves. Because as much as that seems, and I always compare it to when you had the religious martyrs who had the feeling they had to sacrifice themselves for the well-being of mankind. And when you're younger, there's even a sense of, you know, a romantic thought about that, that like, wow, you're so unselfish, you're willing to give yourself, which of course, you know, in the end, when I came to the conclusion for myself, that's the ultimate egocentric action that you can do you know show you're so unselfish that people will be talking about you for centuries ever after make sure you made your mark through your unselfishness look at me you know i'm being so unselfish that the attention will be focused on me for the centuries to follow so that's there's a there's i always found that very double but i i came to the conclusion for myself that that I may have experimented with that, so to say, that that emotion mm-hmm. of like sacrificing my full self, but I came to the conclusion that my mantra has become, I used to write it on a little note, do good to yourself so you can do good to others so the, <laughs> the world will be a better place. Mm. It sounds very logical, but it all starts with do good to yourself. So that means make sure when you get a chance, you eat good, you sleep good, you look good. Because when you feel good, you can communicate that feeling to other people and you can give them the sense that I want you to feel good. I want you to be able to do good. I want you to be in your full strength. Only when we've got that established, we can start thinking about, and you know, the world will be a better place. Mm. Unhappy people, discontent people do not make for a harmonious world. Yeah. That's an interesting point. So I want to just say a little bit more about extra feeling and just, just sort of see what you think in the context of the Netherlands and Trinidad as two countries. So expert feeling extends bountiful empathy to, to people in, in, in groups. It kind of weaves the social fabric of cohesive social harmony. They're often seen as a standard bearers of conventional values and harmon- you know, harmonious relationships mm-hmm. talked about. They affirm and support groups very highly oriented to family life and i was interested to see if that's the same for you that they make sacrifices for their own well-being for the benefit of the family the group the organization or the nation mm-hmm. how does that resonate with you in the context of you know being dutch and then living in in a country like trinidad what is there any difference do you see any difference there are a lot of differences but as the more and you you notice the more you travel, the more you live in different places, the more you come to the conclusion, everybody puts it in a different package. But once you open the package, it comes down to the same things. Everybody wants to be heard. That's one thing I, I you know, whether it's be heard because they're very vocal or 
and this sounds strange, or they want to be heard because they're not vocal at all. Everybody wants to be heard and seen. And to encounter people and show right away that you are interested in their story and you see them, once you do that, anywhere on earth, you have somebody you can communicate with. I'm not saying you're going to be on the same wavelength and you're going to be talking about the same things and agreeing on the same things. But the main thing is when you encounter somebody who makes clear that they're listening to you, they're listening to your words and they're seeing you, that is one major lesson that I've learned from not just Trinidad and the Netherlands, but pretty much anywhere in the world. Mm. All you have to do is sit and receive and give people the time and attention that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody is a child. So my grown children are the people are not grown children, but everybody's a child and a child has a very basic need. Please recognize me. I am here. I have something to say. Take me serious. And that can be through words and actions, or that can be through just being quiet. That is also a very important. People who are quiet are quiet for a reason. Mm. They may not say a lot, but they do want to be seen by you. Mm. And at the end of the day, everybody wants a pat on the back and wants recognition. Because that's what we do. Mm. That's why we that's why we we smile at each other. That's why we look at each other. We we wanna mirror, we wanna we want recognition, we want proof that we exist. Yeah. And what I think in the US, to come back to what you said before, I'd be an extrovert. In the US, I often have the feeling it's also because it's such a huge country desert and everything is so loud and everything is so big, individuals yearn to be seen, to be heard, to be recognized and to be valued. So that's a, one other reason why people are so extrovert. See me, yeah, hear me, uh, believe point. me. And that is, it's, it's you know, uh, there's a lot of mainly American phrases that, that emphasize that. I'll be honest with you, which is weird when you say that in a conversation, because when I'm talking to you, I expect you to be honest. <laughs> people want to emphasize you. You may not have seen it, but I'll be honest with you. I, in the beginning when, because I wasn't used to people using that in Dutch, you know, to be honest with you, I want to be honest. I always think, well, if you have to say that, you weren't honest before, or yeah, but people really, the, the desire and the need to be heard, to be recognized and to have proof of your existence. That's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people are loud and, 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 and it's very extrovert in America. Yeah, and with sensation, it's it's a lot to. You got the states, as you said, everything's bigger, brighter, sparklier, and if you if you're more oriented to being introverted, then that can be quite a, a challenging place to live because you have to be a star amongst thousands of massive, massive stars, and it's difficult to be. Well, you flip it, and you say, "That's what I don't want." Yeah. So, I'm gonna be hobo i'm gonna be a punk rocker living in the squad away from all that i don't want to be shiny i want to be wearing secondhand clothes i you know it's it's you can you can use it and i see a lot of introverts they look at extroverts especially in the us and they want to be exactly the opposite 
Yeah, I think there's something about being authentic that's really important that you're not... I think as we get older, we tend to... Well, certainly for me, I think I'm, I'm less... I'm less fixated on the cultural norms anymore, societal norms. I just want to... It's exhausting. <laughs> you, know, you just want to be yourself. Eventually, you just want to be yourself, right? Yeah. Ultimately, you just want to be yourself. And so it's important to... With my work, to, I, I try and help people return, to come back to themselves, as I say. Wow. Because... Um, wow, Nick, yeah. that is... That is... Return... That is... That is huge. Yeah. Because they... They get lost, right? They're out in the desert, and and so, Jungian, Jungian analysis, or if it's counselling or coaching, or even just discussions like this, right? It's about helping people come back to themselves and to, to find their, you know, to find them to find their their real authentic self, and and the, the I I think the functions and attitudes helps people get some sort of semblance of what it is of who they are, because it's difficult. How can you grasp your your own being? It's a very hard. It's not something you can grasp and say this is me because we're we're very complicated beings. But I think when when you talk to people about feeling and sensation, intuition, thinking, how those attitude, the functions work, they go, oh right, okay, yeah, I get it. I mean, I for me, I I, I know for sure that midway, maybe as a teenager through to my late twenties, I I dropped extroverted sensation. It became second, and I focused on extroverted thinking. So I was very ambitious at work got through my master's degree, my first mm -hmm. degree, I was determined, you know, I was, I thought it was a thinking type, but what gave it away was presentations in the workplace. So often I'd get stage fright before a presentation. And it wasn't because I was afraid to present. I was dreading the questions I was going to be given, <laughs> I was going to be asked at the end of my presentation, because I'd have to think. Mm -hmm. And I knew I couldn't think on the spot, I'd have to really reflect for a bit and then answer the question. But I was very excited by the fact that there and now I was presenting. I loved it. I loved presenting. It was almost like mm -hmm. I was on stage, right? Yeah. But the minute someone asked me a question, I'd get, I, I'd get quite, you know, sweaty, thinking, "Oh shit, what's the answer to this?" And that's when I realised I'm not a thinking type, and it was more sensation that was. So I returned to myself in my early thirties. I, so I started running again. I started physical activity. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and returning to who I was rather than this, this, as I said, it was more of a persona, I think, that I was trying to project at that age. And I wasn't happy at all. I wasn't happy. Was there a specific, was there a specific experience that you had that made you realize, all right, I have to, I have to switch it up. I have to, let's, and because, I mean, what it has to do is you have to, with, with those situations, as also I've experienced it myself at certain times that um, you need a, a very confrontational experience and then you have to be honest with yourself mm. after that and you have to you have to claim your role be it good or bad you have to in an honest way you have to claim that which is extremely difficult and it only works after you've had uh, an intense experience you have yeah. to do it right then because if you let it sit then you're like ah oh, well, it wasn't that bad and you you know all right life goes on no when you have that confrontational experience you need to say all right now what was my role in this? Yeah. And be honest. Don't bullshit yourself. Be honest. What did, could I have done? What should I have done? What did I do? And, and what will I do in the future? And then you make those life, those are those milestone experiences where you say, all right, and from that moment on, I looked at stuff in a different way. Yeah. No, that, that's a great way of putting it. Mike, so there were lots of things going on, and I, I know there were lots of reasons for 
thinking I was an extrovert thinking type. I think part of it was expectations of my family. So my, my dad was very ambitious. He was more of an extrovert thinking type. So I think I was trying to just emulate him. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't me. <laughs> I was just emulating my dad. So that was my first awareness. And then my stage fright before presentations as well, I began to be rather than get consumed by my stage fright, I thought, why am I feeling like this? Mm -hmm. And as you said, that was the that was the, the the encounter with myself. I had to have a I had to have some sort of collision with myself in order mm -hmm. to say, well, what is this? As you said, mm -hmm. was, um, a confrontation. I love that word. Yeah, actually, a confrontation with myself. It wasn't yeah. what was going out here. I was I was parts of me were confronting each other, which was I'd say thinking and sensation were confronting each other. Yeah, sensation saying no, that's not you. I'm the lead. It's not mm -hmm. thinking. Once you get the awareness, then that's when the return home begins. That's when the process can begin to return home. But it takes a while to to drop old habits, right? Uh, and do you ever drop them? Especially, yeah. you're talking about your 30s. I'm, I, I am aware of the same mechanisms that you talk about, expectations from be it family or, or your surroundings or where you grow up or what teachers told you. And, primary school or secondary school those things don't underestimate them teachers have a have a big influence on on your thinking about yourself and there you know whether they you have the feeling they like you or not has a lot to do with how you think about and how you feel about yourself later on and your capabilities and but i i i find it very hard to drop those those socialized ingrained ideas about myself i become aware of them but I also know that there are moments where I'll fall back into them. And I can pull myself out, but I cannot avoid those moments. I cannot avoid it. It's and naturally, sometimes I'm drawn towards a sinkhole. I can, you know, be on the edge and make sure I don't fall in all the way, but I am drawn towards it. I feel myself going there. That's my sometimes a natural reaction. Mm. So I I it's it will always be in me. Like some people say, you know, when they're alcoholic and they haven't drank in 30 years and they stopped drinking when they were 25. I'm like, wow, man, you've been, long, you've been not drinking for longer than you were alive when you were drinking. But they will say, yeah, but I'll always be an alcoholic because it's always in me. And I have the feeling with this, it's almost the same. Look, I haven't felt like that in a long time, but I know it's in me. And I know that it can rear its ugly head at any time. Yeah, definitely. And, and sometimes, you know, this, I'm just trying to remember this term. There's a term that Jung used. It's a Latin term, and I'll probably remember it after this podcast. But anyway, it's, it's when the functions reverse suddenly. So if you're a feeling type, it, well, if you mm -hmm. consider yourself a feeling type, and let's say you're more of a thinking type, some sort of, as you said, confrontation will happen in your life. It could be internal, it could be external. It could be mm -hmm. the breakup of a relationship. It could be meeting someone new it could be just some sort of psychological breakdown or depression mm -hmm. the functions switch like this and suddenly you become the person that who you really are and no one recognizes you they're just like what, what on earth happened to Dara? he's just mm -hmm. he's someone totally different what's going on mm -hmm. and what's happened is the your the mental funk the, the psychological functions have switched it happens it's not something that happens rarely. It's not very well documented, but Jung identified it in, in, in his work with, he wrote this book, Psychological Types, in which he talked about it. And he's, he worked with lots of patients in psychiatric hospitals. So he saw 
how some of the functions can suddenly switch and, and people become completely, you know, just in distress because they don't recognize. And, and does that go both directions? Can it go from, I, I to me, logically would be from thinking to feeling. That, yeah. that is something that I've seen happen before, but it, can it even go from feeling to thinking? Yeah. So typically, so the, they're four functions, but they pair up. So sensation usually pairs up with intuition and thinking usually pairs up with with feeling and i like to put them on a compass usually like a cross that helps me mm -hmm. visualize it and so they call them the pairs of opposites and it's a bit like water and oil they they, they can't integrate with each other mm -hmm. but they're they're part of a pair of opposites it's mm -hmm. a bit like our left and our right hand usually mm -hmm. typically one hand is more dominant the other one's a bit you know weak it still works but i wouldn't i'm right-handed i'll never write with my left hand it's just yeah. it's a mess when i do it but the the two can switch under certain conditions and sometimes it's stress sometimes it's depression because a part of you wants to live and it just switches with mm -hmm. the part that the ego has decided is me you know i'm i yeah. said to myself i'm a thinking type but actually my true authentic self knew a sensation so there was a there was a sudden there was a switch for me in my early 30s which became but I managed it. I didn't, it didn't happen overnight. I just slowly returned to myself, mm -hmm. physical activity to return back to sensation. So I was running, I was doing lots of physical activity, but what I also was doing was also accepting introversion. And if you can get the, this is what some people call peak experiences. So when the functions integrate, it's like when water and oil integrate for a very brief moment, that's called a peak experience. Some people call it, they've had a mystical experience. Or, yeah. They've, mm -hmm, they've mm -hmm. walked the peak of the mountain. It doesn't last very long. And sometimes that's when the two functions work together, mm -hmm. but only for a brief moment. And that's when people get creativity. That's when people think completely outside the box. That's when people feel a sense of well-being. I've had sensation and intuition, which are the, the pairs of opposites. So for me, sensation mm -hmm. is the lead, which means intuition's what's called my inferior, because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's in the depth, it's in the unconscious. The two have integrated at some point, and I've had some amazing experiences in when those two have worked together. And I heard you say India. It's when I went, I went to India is when those mm -hmm. two functions went through some sort of brief marriage when I was in India. I felt I was having an out-of-body experience when I was in India. I mm -hmm. think the conditions of India just sort of allowed, allowed for my, those two functions to yeah. sort of integrate. Because yeah. India is introvert intuition as a country. It's not extroverted. They, 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 they're very focused on the unconscious and it, it manifests out here in their religion, you know? And it's a very introverted, intuitive country, very visionary. You see that with all the, the imagery and the religious imagery has visual sort of look to it, sort of stance, lots of imagination, lots of stories that come from the imagination. So India was very, if I'd gone to India before, the time I did, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. I was not ready for India. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. I went to India, I was ready for it. Yeah. India, for me, it was also a place that through the, 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 the grandness of the country, it's a huge country. Distances are huge. Mountains are huge. The heat can be unbearable. I was there, there was 50 yeah. degrees Celsius. The dust, the food, where you get sick, the water. 
the beauty of things, the amount of people, at the same time, the horror of the circumstances that some people live in, the gruesomeness and the beauty of, of the history of India, the introvertness, the, you know, going into your own conscious, but at the same time, the extrovertness of every corner of the street, people are open about their introvertness, which is a weird thing. They, they are very extrovert in showing how introvert they are. No, this is, you know, and it was a country, or it is, what I experienced, a country of extremes. Now, extremes are going to push your buttons. They're going to they're gonna push you to your your corners, your, your boundaries of extreme. What is, you know, can, there's been times in India where I had days where I felt I didn't want to leave the guest house that day because the, it, the impressions were too intense. The, the noise was too loud some days. Other days you surf through it and you feel like Superman. This is chaos and I'm riding this wave of chaos. I'm on top of it. I can do this. I'm surviving. Look at me. I'm shaking them off. I'm waving them off. I'm eating my food. I'm having fun. I'm laughing. I'm joking. I'm waving to everybody. Other days she just said, you know what? Not today. <laughs> I, I need to be inside. I need to read a book or write my diary or do push-ups for the rest of the day or take showers or just, I cannot face it right now. And that, that India is not love it or hate it, but is love it and hate it. Yeah, it transcends yeah. the pairs of opposites, right? Like you, I when I went to India, I went for six, eight weeks, I think. And I was traveling around India, just, I really enjoyed it. And, but I made sure I stayed in a really nice hotel every evening. I, that's, I consciously went thinking, I don't want to bum it in India. I could have stayed in. Oh no, I stayed, hotel. I was on a shoestring. <laughs> I, I, I made the decision not to, because like you, there were days I just thought, I just want to relax this evening. Yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah. chaotic all day and you just want to mm -hmm. relax and recover before you go out again. I think in my analysis of India is that it's intro intuition first extrovert sensation second so i coped with the the sights the sounds the smells the, the incense the the chanting you know that i was comfortable with that but what i felt a little bit uncomfortable with was as you said you know the poverty the the suffering it just seemed it was accepted that this is just the way it is and 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 that's for me where extrovert feeling the us i think I, I see people more connected in a very strange way. It's not the perfect country, but I've seen people really try to connect and harmonize. Where in India, there were some really nice people, but even some even some of the nice people tried to <laughs> mm -hmm. try to swindle me over money or something. You know, it it just felt there was a bit of mischief in in some of the people I was dealing with. Generally speaking, I'm not saying all Indians are like that, but I think that as a country, it's it's sensation intuition as its main functions. Mm -hmm. which is oh, uh, smell, yeah, and, sounds, and mm -hmm. chanting, and then the religion, which is, as you said, it's it's actually really beautiful. It's it's a great experience. But uh, I don't know what you think about extrovert feeling in, in nations, and is there any other country you think has extrovert feeling as a as a national character? I can't think of any, you know? I, uh, I and uh, I almost have the feeling that at times I need to be very careful in labeling people or groups of people or countries like that, because is it really extrovert? Is overcompensation part of 
of being extrovert? Or is mm. it somebody who's introvert and becomes very aware of their shortcomings? So they force themselves to be extrovert. Are they truly extrovert there or are they overcompensating what they feel they're lacking because they're introvert? So when it comes to countries or groups of people, I think for me, I, I'm more comfortable talking about individuals than, than talking about countries because especially groups of people, they are almost always overcompensating because they know that they are as strong as their weakest link and they know they have weak links because every group does. So you're always overcompensating them, those weak links. You're always making sure that other people get a good idea, not just of you, but of your whole group. And I see that the same in countries. You try to present yourself because you are aware you're shortcoming, so you overcompensate. That is, is that extrovert behavior of it? It is at that moment, but is that mm -hmm. who you are? Is that your nature? Or are you introvert, aware of your introvert, your introvert behavior? And that's why you have the feeling you have to push yourself to be extrovert. So with countries, I, I don't know if, if for me, if, if I would be comfortable talking about that. Mm. People with individuals, yeah, with, with people, I see too much diversity, too many different stories, too, too many different stories being pushed on people for them to accept. So mm. with countries or groups of people, collectives, it's, it's very much, is that really you? Or yeah. is that you're overcompensating because yeah. you have the feeling this is who I need to be? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, 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 I totally understand that. I think it's psychology works well at, at, at an individual level, but there's a lot of movement towards looking at it in a sort of psycho societal levels, as they're calling it, where they, they look at so you, some some concepts are you in psychology being used to explain cultural attitudes and behaviors, for example, the the pairs of opposites, which is which is a concept in in, in Jungian psychology about that the ego, that the, the unconscious will always compensate the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. So if the, the, the conscious mind is exaggerated or one-sided, the unconscious will attempt to, to, overcom to compensate that one-sidedness mm -hmm. in order to create wholeness, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And so some people argue that, that the, the tension, let's say, between North Korea and South Korea, Israel and Palestine, Republic of Ireland and Ireland, Democrats, Republic, Brexit, leave the EU, <laughs> remain the mm -hmm, EU. Mm -hmm. Somehow we seem to, and I'm not saying that Jungian psychology has the answer, but we, we do seem to, to find ourselves in this sort of tension sometimes. It's, it's a, I see it in, 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 and that, you know, for me is why I asked the question. I just wonder why we always put ourselves in this sort of, dynamic and i i've even seen it in uganda where I'm, my family originally from there's a there's a north uganda south uganda divide right it, it's mm -hmm. a very strange dynamic that we seem to humankind just generally universally seems to find itself in and so psychological types that we've been talking about is an attempt to explain some of those differences but yeah it can lead to i agree it can lead to typecasting uh, yeah, and, and I think people, what you said, the differences between North and South and this country, this part of the country and that part of the country, people are big children. Like I said before, people want to be seen and recognized and they want to be heard and they want to be taken serious. In order to do that, people often have the feeling, I have to distinguish myself from the next person. I have to be different. You need to see me. You need to understand that I'm special. I'm different. I'm not like them. 
even when the two people look exactly the same. But there's this thing, I know, in sociology where that this famous saying that people make distinctions on the fact that it's the difference that makes the difference, which I always thought was, it was a, to say that the difference that makes a difference, we can be exactly the same. But I wear different shoelaces than you are. Then I have a right to, you know, we may look the same, but look at our shoes. We're not the same at all. I am completely different. I'm wearing pink shoelaces. He's wearing yellow shoelaces. So we always look for the difference that makes a difference because we want to distinguish. We want to be different. We want to be distinct. We want to be seen as special, as standing by them ourselves. We are part of something greater. But as an individual, we are that child that's saying, you have to see me for who I am. I may look like it, but hey, the difference that makes a difference. He eats fish, I don't eat fish. So we're completely different people. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> so that, that difference that makes a difference, that has become very, for me to, when I look at things, why do people want it? Why are they making such a big thing of it? Why don't they, you know, why doesn't everybody just say one word for God? And why do you have to say Allah, God, Elohim, El Shaddai? Why do you have to have all these different words? We're all talking about the same thing. Because that's exactly it. It's the difference that makes the difference. No, we don't use that word because we are different. We are all, you have to see us as special. We are not like them. See us as different. So that difference that makes a difference is a very strong thing within people. Hmm. And they will go to great lengths to let you know that although they 99% look the same as that person, they are not because they're completely different because, you know, they go to sleep on Saturday evening and the other ones go on Sunday morning. So we're completely different. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, that's what I, well, that's what I take away from extrovert feeling that it's, it's a, it tries to standardize the whole of humanity in a, in a kind of way that's its sort of purpose. But the other types like to break out into little groups and say, no, we are this and you guys are that is kind of my takeaway from extrovert feeling that it's, it's, it's very harmonizing. And it sounds like, do you, do you, given what we've discussed, do you think that it's one way to find out for, you know, for sure, whether it's a elite functions, you, you can do personality assessments and stuff, but do you, do you feel that, you know, extrovert feeling is really, really important to you in terms of how you engage with the world and other people. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important in a way that if, if well, first of all, of course, bottom line, if, if that's who you are, then, you know, you have to be able to show yourself, to, to show your, your true nature, to, um, it is, it is in a way disarming. It, 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 when, when you see on the outside, it's, it, 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 there are situations where that's what you need to know. You need to see that it's okay. Sometimes you have the time to wait, 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 and then eventually feel that it's okay. But often you, you need to, somebody needs to comfort you. It's okay. Look at it. It's okay. And therefore I think, yeah, no, I mean, if you, if you, if you have the ability to read people and to, to, then you know when to, use what part of your personality but i think it's important to, to at least let, let people know mm -hmm. you have to they have to see i i have great difficulty with people who i can't read because uh, i've noticed with with 
people who have difficulty reading other people, people who are somewhere within the autistic spectrum, often have difficulty picking up tone of voice, facial expressions, use of words, timing. They, they see things in, you know, what I would say in a more one-dimensional way, not to make it sound like it's less, but in a one that they take it at base, face value. And that is very difficult. That is very difficult mm -hmm. to deal with because, you know, this is all we have. I, I can't go into your head and read your mind. This is, the outside <laughs> is all I have. Sometimes that's all I can do with. I, yeah. I can't have deep conversations about the traumas that you have during youth, but I, I need to see your smile because then I know it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's, yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic sign. Dara, sorry, but you know, extroversion. We really the object. You know, it's yeah, yeah. Has, to, has to show itself in order for us to yeah. engage with it. You know, and that 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 makes sense. And the other takeaway I've taken away from what you've what you've said is that what what is thought must must first be felt. You know, does that make sense to you that? It's, 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 you, it's, there's a, there's a, well, how do I feel about this first before the thought comes next? But to summarize it, what is thought must first be felt. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 you cannot, or it's, some people can. I'm, I'm saying some people can, because some people are, 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 they can chop up things in different ways. But for me, it's, I need to know the song in order to sing the melody. If I don't know the song, I don't know what melody to sing. Some people can, and they will build a song around the melody. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't know the song, I don't know on what note I'm starting, what chord I'm, you know, gonna be chanting. What I, if I don't know the song, I can't sing the melody. And so, I, yeah, I, I, I need to know, where are we? Show me the song. Then I know if we said I have. And then I know what to sing. If, if not to sing, if not to sing, which is also very important. If yeah. you show me the song and there's already enough in there, I'm like, you know what? Sometimes it's good to stand on the outside and just admire the song. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we're reaching the end of the blogcast. I guess on that note, what 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 are you listening to at the moment? Let's talk about songs. What are you what are you currently listening to at the moment? What am I listening to at the moment? At the moment, I'm listening to a couple of things, and it's pretty eclectic. I'm listening to African Head Charge. I don't know if you're aware of that, but I love African Head Charge. I'm listening to something completely on the different side. Lately, I've been getting into a lot of New York hardcore from the 80s, and I'm talking about punk rock hardcore, so it's Chromax, oh Bad Brains, that, that kind of thing. I'm listening to the, a couple of years ago, they had found some lost recordings by John Coltrane. Mm -hmm. And they, it's a double CD and I've really been enjoying that. And then there's a lot of music that my daughter is into. And besides the, the songs that are on the radio, now she is into a lot of uh, 70s music and 80s music that I wouldn't have necessarily listened to in the 70s and 80s yeah. <laughs> because it's coming around. And she is giving me a new, She's given a new lease on things. She's, she's given me a new way of, of, I see the joy that it brings to her and I hear her sing those songs and those, and it becomes different. It becomes different. Now I associate those songs, not with the 70s and 80s and me being young, I associate those songs with living now and seeing my daughter enjoying those songs. So uh. they, they become nice to me. I'm like, oh, well, actually, it's not that bad, this song. I used to think it was horrible, but, you know. <laughs> That's great. I mean, like you, I was also born in the 70s. 
<laughs> I can't say what Somewhere year. in the 70s. Somewhere in the 70s. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of the late, sort of late 70s soul, funk music, disco music. That, yeah. that was a great time. So yeah, it's great that she's got into that. And and for her, music is, is, is another thing. When I see her, I, I can look at her face when she listens to music and I can get lost in her face and her movements. I, I, I can see her mood through how she reacts to music because she's very expressive, not in a way that she's aware of it, but even, you know, where I start shining if, if, if there's such a thing or I, I see her, her cheekbones or I see she, you know, her ears move in small things. But she is from, she was a baby on very expressive to, to, to music. Any sound, she, she cannot control it. She will have to start, you know, moving her head or snapping her fingers or shaking her shoulder. And the older she gets is, I thought it, it, she might become too aware of it, that she would start losing it, as we see a lot with children when they're very free in their expression when they're young. But for her, it's, it's, it's a, a huge part of, of who she is, is not music by itself, but just the freedom to to react to the music. That that main thing, to be able to belt along or to shake your shoulders or snap yeah. your fingers, that freedom. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Dow. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, definitely. So this is, well, this is a great honor because this is the first podcast of In Search Of, and today we're in search of the feeling function. So I hope the viewers have enjoyed this discussion between Dow and I, and you've been able to sort of spot extroverted feeling in its expression, particularly in, in Dow's day-to-day -day life and just some of the stories he's told us, told us today. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.